Hello and welcome finally to my first ever episode on my brand new podcast, which is called Made to Think with your host, Ninjam. That's me, aka Adam. I'm originally from Bolton, which is a town inside Greater Manchester. I, uh, I've been a DJ. I'm a passionate writer. I'm a heavy reader. I'm into esoteric knowledge. I am um, passionate about poetry. I'm a teacher. And most importantly, I'm a father. And I've got a lot of stuff to share, a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience, all my ups and downs. Why am I doing this podcast? Just because I have so much experience in so many things that I believe will inspire other people to find their path in life. Uh, it's just been a hobby that I've been sitting on thinking about for so long. And, you know, if you're going to do something, you got to do it. I'm a little bit nervous, but I'll get better at this as time goes along. Um, for now, let's get this party sh party started. What, what I'm going to do is break down my episodes into different segments about different topics. Uh, today's episode, it's the beginning of my poetry career, which is a big piece of my heart and my soul. And I'm going to call this the Slam Jam. So every Slam Jam episode will be a little story finished by a poem. And what I'm going to do naturally is start with the first poem that I ever wrote down. And okay, a little bit of background. So when I started uh, high school, 1990, I was put under pressure because all the kids in high school seemed to have a lot more than me. They were all a little bit richer than me. I was a middle-class boy. I had a good house. My mum was an excellent cook. Um, dad was ex-military, ex-navy. Um, and my mum was a, a pub. She run a pub. She was a host with the most. So I had a quite an exciting upbringing, full of love, also full of arguments and drunken charge and drunken confusion. But at the end of the day, it made me who I am now, and I'm quite proud of that. So I get into school 1990, and to keep up with the other kids, I just suddenly started lying about everything to be cool. Like, I didn't have double glazing windows. I didn't have that pink brick uh, driveway like all the rich kids my dad didn't have a nice car. I didn't have the cable TV, so I couldn't watch Simpsons or WWF. So what I used to do is I'd go and listen to the kids talk about the latest episode of Simpsons, and then I'd go over to another group, and I'd be, I'd be like, did you watch The Simpsons last night? It was good, wasn't it? So anyway, after about two months of being at school, I suddenly uh, fall into you know the cool group, and they all caught me in the lie. They figured out that I wasn't living on the nice estate, and my dad didn't have a portion I didn't have cable TV. I didn't have an Atari ST and all this crap. You know, materialistic stuff. It doesn't really matter. But I remember walking into school one morning and everybody was looking at me. And they went, so what's new, Billy Bullshit? <laughs> and that name stuck with me forever. And you know what's so funny is that I tried my hardest to tell the truth all the way through school. And ironically now, especially the last two years, the more, you t you, the more honest you try to be, the less people want to listen. So my promise to you on this podcast, everything I do, everything I say, it's all going to come from the heart. And it's all going to be the absolute honest truth. And sometimes that's going to hurt. But this is the way we roll. This is the philosophy. And actually, part of my podcast, the title of it all is Philosophy. Don't confuse that with philosophy. What I'm saying by philosophy is this is all free. It's free knowledge. It's free experience. You're going to learn from somebody that's had as many ups and downs as, as, you, as you can get. Um, and, you know, I've learned from those mistakes and I've got stronger and better. Um, now I'm feeling as good as I'm going to be for as uh, forever. So I'm ready for this. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be me being honest and just coming straight out. So where did it all start for me? Uh, at school, 
me and my mates, we used to go, take the bus into Manchester and we just go around all the uh, clothes shops and the record stores, not buying records because we didn't have any money, but we'd collect all these club flyers. And you remember back in the day, the flyers didn't have a picture of a girl with big boobs or a fancy DJ with makeup. It was just a flyer with a guy's name on it. And the bigger the DJ, the bigger the name. Anyway, if you got into this flyer collection thing, there was like every week there'd be a specific collection of flyers that came out. So you could never, ever miss a week. You'd have to go into town every week and get these flyers. And I got obsessed with it, me and my mates. So I decorated all my room. All my bedroom was covered in flyers. So that laid a seed for me. Um, back then, I'd never imagined ever I could be a DJ. It was like like being a superhero. It just seemed to be only for the selected or the talented. So I planted a seed in my head to be a DJ in the future. So anyway, um, we're going through school. I get out of school. And, you know, this name, Billy Bullshit, it stuck with me. It scarred me for life. I just wanted to be a good boy and not get in trouble. But I, uh, I just, everywhere I went, people just looked at me like I was a joke. Never took me serious, always making fun out of me. So that stuck with me as well. Um, what happened after school is I bounced around different jobs. I didn't go to university like other people, which I think is probably a good thing because I, I didn't get indoctrinated into certain things too soon. I was able to sort of grow, learn, become a little bit independent and not, not be pressurized to just learn about one topic. So anyway, I'm in this job. I'm about 19 and I was heavy into clubbing from 18 on. Clubbing was our religion. We'd go out Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays. So I was working in a bank in, in uh, Manchester. I hated the job. It was horrible. It was good money, but I was just screwing people's lives over. That's the honest truth. It was terrifying. I'd go to work on a Monday with a real bad come down. Just hated the job. So I was desperate to get out of England. And I felt maybe I felt like I, I needed to run away and start fresh. So anyway, while I was in the bank, the one good thing that came out of that, that career experience, some random guy came up to me, a guy called Dave. Nobody really liked him, but I liked him. And he was in the middle of writing a book. And he just handed me this random book. I hadn't read a book since school. So it's three years since I'd actually picked a book up. And he said to me, who do you think built the pyramids of Egypt? I said, what a fucking question that is. I have no idea, mate. I don't really care. He said, I'll tell you what, read this book and uh, give it me back and then you can answer the question. That book was Graham Hancock's Fingerprints of the Gods. I took that book home. I had a quick look at it, quick read of the back page, opened the front page. It was all about astronomy and geometry and all this stuff. I had no idea what it was about. And I just thought, this is fucking headache. So I put it down. Anyway, about two months later, I came back to that book and I, and I just read it. You know, I was having a bit of a midlife crisis at a young age and I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to go to clubs, take drugs and all that stuff anymore. So... I uh, started reading this book and it, it gave me a very young uh, foundation of being able to open my mind and look into stuff that you don't usually hear about in the mainstream. So anyway, across the road from my house, there was a guy called Jamie Blundell. He's one of my oldest friends. His parents were quite well off. So they purchased him some techniques and he used to see Jamie walking, walking past the window every day. He'd get paid on a Friday and he'd go out Friday, Saturday, and just spend all his money on records. So I'm seeing him walking down the street every day with a bag of records. I'm thinking, God, oh, maybe one day I'll be a DJ. But it was just so expensive to set, set everything up. So anyway, Jamie just said to me one day, why don't you come over for a mix? So because I lived across the road, I could just knob over the street and knock on the door. And he had this cool little attic room set up for a DJ. 
And he was only able to put about four people in there. So I was always there first. Other people would come knock on the door. Sorry, no more room. Anyway, Jamie let us play three songs each on rotation. And I'll tell you something now, if you've ever started DJing, it wasn't easy. Trying to figure out how to mix two vinyls together. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of things to think about. And I mean, I'm just super excited, big ball of energy. Jamie would sit there while I was mixing. He'd be like, Adam, it's too loud. He's too fast. He was complaining about everything. But for me, it was just something that I liked. It fit with me because I had so much energy. I didn't think about it as a as a, something I was going to do in the future. So that I naturally just learned and enjoyed it. And I think that's important. Whenever you do anything, if you enjoy it, it doesn't become a chore. So anyway, I'm up there DJing. And what I start doing after that, I tell people that I was a DJ because I'm a you know, I'm a natural compulsive liar still. I'd give I'd give people Jamie's mixes and just show off and say it was me. So I always felt bad about it, but for me, I think I was just taking shortcuts. I wasn't willing to do the hard work myself, or I didn't think I'd ever have the chance to do that. So anyway, that starts happening, and then I'm, I'm looking for something. I, I'm kind of bored. I want, I want to get out of England. And my uncle, he lives in America. My uncle's done very well for himself. My uncle's actually the father of Matt Schofield, who's a very famous jazz and blues guitar player. You should check him out on Spotify. He's my cousin, and he's doing amazing things if, you, if you're into jazz and blues matt schofield there's a bit of a plug uh yeah so i'm the cousin of a very famous rock star who's best mates with keith richards <laughs> so music runs in our family anyway my uncle he's uh he's got an apple ranch over in america he also works for intel he's an analyst so he's pretty wadded and his idea was this i go over to america um i go see the farm he's, he's making apples on the farm and pears and um all kinds of things so the idea was that I go over there and then I'll be back in England and we'll distribute all the apples to England in these frozen containers. And I drive around a little van that looked like an apple and we call the business Adam's Apples. <laughs> so I go over there. But um, just before I'm going to go, there's a massive big storm in, in California, a hailstorm, and it destroyed all the uh, farm. So my uncle said, look, I've got something else for you now because I was already planning to go over. I quit my job and I was ready. He said, look, I've just bought this Indian restaurant, which is not doing very good, but the food's really good. I bought it for, he bought it for his wife uh, uh, back then, a, a lovely lady called Mina. She was actually a royal dancer for the royal family in Singapore. So my uncle had purchased this Indian restaurant for her brother. And the idea was for him to go over and take over the business. But a bit of a stroke of luck for me, this brother was on his way to California he decided to stop off in uh, Macau and dropped all his money on Russian roulette and lost everything. So my uncle says, right, change your plan. Come over to America and you can run this Indian restaurant. I had absolutely no idea about running anything, managing anything. I was 20 years old. But what, one thing I did know is that I absolutely loved Indian food. So the day before I'm leaving to America is my leaving party. I'm at the pub with all my mates and I'm playing football, pissed up. And then typical me, accident prone, I just uh, play, play football in the gar in the beer garden and I just tried to do an overhead kick and broke my bloody, broke my arm. So I turn up to America the next day with my arm in a cast. Anybody that knows me, I've, I've broken 19 bones in my life. So my uncle's not happy. He's like, how are we going to do this now? How are we going to get you around with a broken arm? So that's always been my, my, um, my downfall. Every time there's a, a spanking opportunity about something. I usually fuck it up pretty fast. 
and probably because I usually rush into things and don't, I'm not, I'm not careful. So I've been learning to slow down in life. Anyway, we made the most of it. I get into this Indian restaurant. It's an absolute dive hole and it's not very busy, but it's situated right across the road from the Intel offices. So there's plenty of opportunity there to grow the clientele. All it needed was a bit of tender love and introduce the Indian food properly to the Americans because they've got such a weird, they used to have a very bad opinion about Indian food. You just put off before trying it. So I, anyway, I did what my mum taught me as a kid, host with the most, started packing this place out. And before you know it, we, we're having to move to another restaurant. So my uncle uh, trusted me to set up a brand new restaurant. I did all the all the uh, licenses and did all the paperwork and designed the logo. We turned the name from Latandor into Chutneys. And what we did then, my idea was to take the fruit from the farm and then you and, and turn the fruit into Chutneys and we would sell them as a brand. And it worked. It was really, really good. Um, so I'm having the time of my life. And still to this day, I have not yet found any Indian food that comes close to that place. The chef, Chaman, He's passed away. Bless you, brother. He was an absolute wizard. Uh, I'm, I'm on the hunt. Every time I go to an Indian restaurant, it's always a six compared to his tens. So, yeah, I, I, I consider myself somewhat of a curry connoisseur. Anyway, food's banging, restaurant's flying. I'm doing really good. And guess what? I screw up. I go to this house party with a bunch of new American friends. And I've never, I've never, I never knew what a keg stand was. So basically what Americans do, they get a keg of beer, and they hang you upside down by your feet and they stick the pipe in your mouth and they, they count the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, and you're forced to suck this pipe upside down. So I did it one time and I nearly choked to death. Uh, they put me down on the floor. I think I got up to about E before I nearly passed out. I said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not having that. Let me try again. And the next time I probably did up to an R. So I don't know how much beer I'd consumed. And then in the back garden, typical American house party, they've got a rock band playing in the front room. They've got a trampoline in the back garden with nitrous oxide. So I'm doing that. I'm blazing some joints, smoking a bit of weed. And uh, yeah, I was having a really good time. And then I got told that the police had turned up. So I, you know, I'm a, I'm a talkative guy. I'll talk to anybody. I go outside, start talking to this local copper. And he's obviously intrigued. He's like, what are you doing out here? You're from England. I said, oh, yeah, my uncle lives here and I'm running a restaurant, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'll talk too much shit. And he was very happy to listen to my story and he, he left the uh, party. There was no trauma, just turned the music down. So on the way home, one, one of my new friends, he needed a ride. So I get in the truck, I drive home. I'm nearly at where I should be to go home, but I go over the hill to drop this geezer off and I missed the turning. And he said it quite sharply. He said, oh, you should have turned left. So I sort of turned the, the wheel pretty pretty harsh and the, the car skidded and next thing you know flashing lights policeman's got a gun out and he's like get out of the car i'm like what the fuck is all this about and i got arrested and uh, it was the same policeman from the party who had been talking to a few hours before so i'm there sat in the back of a police car handcuffed which is the most uncomfortable and terrifying experience for a 20 year old in another country i get took down to placerville station and they processed me and they didn't really ask me any questions. They were more interested as, as like, what, what do they do in England? What do the police do in England different from America? I was like, well, they don't pull guns on you for a fucking fact. So while they're trying to process me, Placerville jails, it's booked up, it's full. So they, they have to move me to Folsom Jail, um, which is quite a ride. I, I get a ride in a, in a police truck. 
And this is like one, one or two o'clock in the morning. I'm absolutely terrified. The weed's wearing off. The beer's wearing off. The nitrous is wearing off. And the reality's kicking in. My, my hands are fucking hurting from these handcuffs. So I get to Folsom Jail. You know, Johnny Cash, no word of a lie. I get put in a jail cell for a night. And I'm sat in this fucking cell. No blanket. No uh, pillow. Just an empty room with a concrete slab to sit on. And I'm sat there and I've got a black eye. The reason for the, my uh, black eye... I, just a couple of days before, I'd been doing some work in the office in the house and the phone rang and I jumped up, raced to the phone and I just smashed my head into the door and uh, gave myself a black eye. So while I was being processed at the jail, obviously I was I was really nervous about what my uncle would think about this. And I was saying stuff to the police like, oh, my uncle's going to kill me and I'm going to have to go back to England and, you know, saying a lot of really bad things, uh, which could have been took out of context. So I'm in the I'm in this prison cell. No, no pen, no paper, no nothing. And I'm just thinking about like, what, what am I going to do? How am I going to explain all this? And next thing, this, this guy walks in and he's a welfare officer and he starts interviewing me saying, does your uncle beat you up? I'm like, no, does he fuck? Well, what's this mark on your face? Oh, I ran into a door. Of course you did. So here I am trying to tell the, the truth for the first time in my life. And this guy doesn't believe a fucking word I've said. <laughs> it was just like, oh my God, leave me the fuck alone. Let me just rot in this jail cell. So anyway, he leaves and blah, blah, blah. But you can see how, how that could have been pretty uh, pretty bad for my uncle. It was a bad situation. So they told me anyway, my uncle's on the way, but he needs to get two grand in cash in the morning to get me out of jail. So my uncle had to call his best mate who lived in Sacramento. He drives over to Folsom at six o'clock in the morning with two grand in cash. And my uncle comes and gets me around eight o'clock in the morning. And he said to me, oh, you know, the police actually said you were very well behaved. You were quite an interesting character. And apparently I was only 0.001 over the limit, which is absolute bollocks. I was well over that. So you need to check your fucking figures in America. So anyway, we get home and then I had to go to, to the court. Uh, quite a terrifying experience. I go into the courtroom. There's nobody in there. I'm the first in there, suited and booted. And I just happened to notice that three judges were talking to each other. One of these judges leaves the building and it, it obviously seemed obvious that somebody had left the folder. So I, I run up to the judges and says, has that person just left that folder? If you want, I'll go and run out and give it to them. So I did that. It was a good deed, well received. And I think that obviously did me some, uh, did me some good when it came to my trial time. So I'm, I'm sat there. There's four people from the party sat behind me. They've all been arrested as well. They're all laughing. It's like their third offence. For me, it's my first ever offence. Never been in trouble with the police. And they've got, they've given me a piece of paper and I've been done three accounts. Um, one account was drinking, dr drinking with no licence. So the police had actually forgot to ask me for my driving licence. So that, that got dropped. The second offence was drinking under the influence, which is called a DUI. And then the last... Uh, was uh, drinking, uh, driving dangerously, which I don't think I was. I just missed the turning. But anyway, I'm busted. So I'm sat there waiting. And I remember there was a big long line of these guys wearing orange boiler suits, all chained up together. They all come walking and sit at the front. And I turn around to these guys from the party. I said, what's all that about? He says, oh, they're, they're all the serial killers. I'm like, what? I'm in the same room as serial killers. I've only been here fucking three months. What the fuck's all this about? So yeah, it's the story of my life. So I, I get up, I'm very uh, polite, very uh, well-behaved, and they, they they drill me, they, they sort of talk about deporting me. But then I noticed this one judge sort of leans over to the new judge and he must have whispered something in his ear. He said, oh, you know, he'd done a good fit, a good deed. 
And they, they, they just said, right, you've got to pay three and a half grand and you won't get deported. You can stay in the country. No, oh, thank fuck for that. So I've been there for three months, worked my ass off. And all the money I had, I had to now spend on getting my truck out of the compound and paying this bloody fine. And so I'll tell you now, it was a, it was a serious lesson learnt. All right. So, of course, after that, um, we had issues with my visa and stuff. So my uncle was like, look, we're going to have to send you back to England and maybe you can come back in the future and we'll process all your visa and that correctly. But I was worried now I was going to come back with this criminal record. So I had no choice but to go back to England. But the point of this story is when I was sat in that jail room, I memorized a poem in my head and I'd never done that before. All I'd done prior to that was uh, send letters to pen pals. I don't know if for all you 80s kids, you might remember Teletext. And I discovered this thing on Teletext where you could you could sign up and you could find a pen pal. And uh, yeah, it used to take two weeks, send a letter. They'd send a letter back. Then you send a photo yourself, a photo yourself and they'd send a photo. And I got really into it. I, I've still got a box at home with all these letters that I wrote. And I used to write a lot of love letters to, to my girlfriends as well. So I was quite romantic when I was young. But I was dead into writing. So I also memorized a couple of hip hop songs where I was a kid. I thought I was a bit of a rapper. Um, but I didn't think I had this ability to write something in my head and then memorize it. Anyway, I did. And that poem is the first poem that I ever wrote in my life, um, still to this day. So what I did, I um, I jotted it down on a piece of paper, and that poem is now called um, Alone. And I'm going to share that with you right now. And this basically started off my poetry career. Now, one more thing before I get into this. When I, when I moved to America... I took a book with me called uh, Michael Jackson's Poetry Collection. Most people know Michael Jackson as a singer. I I've seen him. In I've seen him live in concert. He was my hero as a kid. But I just somebody gave me this book about Michael Jackson's poems. And what I was doing, I was I was copying them poems while I was in America, and I was putting them into a folder. And I was basically showing my new friends in America this folder and telling them that I I'd wrote a poetry book. So it was plagiarism. And not, not only that, I was still telling everybody that my mixes were Jamie's, uh, Jamie's mixes were my mixes. So no matter what I, where I was going or where I was in life, I was still holding on to this bad habit of having to lie because I just didn't think I was good enough to do it myself. So that that folder uh, of, of my original poetry book, which wasn't my work, my mum would later find that by accident in England. And there was a poem in that book, which Michael Jackson wrote called Mother. And my mum read that and she thought that I'd wrote it for her. And I didn't have the balls to tell her that I'd copied it. So <laughs> what I did in the end is I actually became a poet. And later I wrote a real poem for my mother. And then I told her this was the poem from me. And it was actually a lot better. So I learned this whole story is about me stop lying and just be myself. And that's what this podcast is going to be all about. Just go on a flow evolve, share all these stories, all these gains, all these losses, all these ups and downs, but there's always going to be a positive at the end. So to finish off my first episode of Slam Jam, number one, this is the first poem I ever wrote while I was in Folsom Jail, and it's called Alone. Disbelief is the feeling abound. This time only anger I found. To be the cure of this night's memory, I apologize with all sincerity. It's a foolish mistake an error to make. I took a chance without a glance. I rolled the dice, now I pay the price. All alone, 
Nobody to hear my cries can no longer think up any more lies. Trouble ahead, prepared I must be. No comfortable bed for me to sleep. How did this happen to me? What was it that I did not see? Foolishness it could not be. Will I ever again be free? Never have I heard my voice beg so much for the freedom of choice to turn back the clock and make things right. Forget about this eventful night. Feeling cold and all alone, they ask me if I'm accident prone. Do I feel like taking my life? Do I enjoy creating a strife? Am I homosexual? Do I have a disease? Leave me alone, please, please, please. Hours pass and I'm still alone. The time has come for me to go home. One last look at this concrete jail. My uncle arrived to pay my bail. A souvenir photo and fingerprints to match. A new file joins the criminal batch. My first offence, a DUI. One last glance, I say goodbye. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the first episode. It's going to get crazy from now. Much love. And remember, have it large.